Hey guys, this is Keir from RugbyStrengthCoach.com. Welcome to episode number seven of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. Today we're going to mix things up a little bit. and It's just going to be me speaking and what I'm going to do is just speak out loud the answers that I have for a questionnaire that was recently sent to me by a strength coach who's in his final year at university. And he asked if he could send me this questionnaire for his final um, dissertation project, which is on the factors that underpin programming of elite level athletes. And he sent this thing over to me and it's like 27 questions long. So I thought if I'm going to put all this um, time into answering the questions, it would be a good idea to try and maybe share it with you guys so you can get a little bit of an insight into, into how I work and how I approach programming for my guys. So the first question is, are there a number of player programs that you create or do you have the same program for the whole squad? Um, this is basically you have to strike a balance between the ideal world and the reality. And obviously in the ideal world, you know, you'd have an, a new program for each person because we're all different. We've all got different training ages. We have different weaknesses, different strengths, different needs. Um, so it would make sense that the programs would be um, as individual as like the clothes that you wear. Um, however, that's a nightmare to try and program for. It's even harder to try and implement, monitor and adjust based on um, all the different factors that you have to consider within a program of athletic training. So instead, I like to take the approach of different groups. So for example, during our accessory work, we have a couple of different groups or three different groups. We have one which is a um, lean mass gain group. We have an anatomical adaptation group. So we're starting to look more at um, body control, maybe uh, eccentric strength and so on. And then we just have a, a local muscular endurance group for guys who, for example, have quite a large amount of lean mass. Um, anatomically, they're in good shape. They're not, they don't have a huge amount of injury risk factors and they just need to develop a little bit more work capacity before uh, we move on to more intense phases of training. And we have different menus of exercises that we use or different protocols that we use for the various different sections that we have within the programs that we use. And our... Just from a gym perspective, our programs normally follow the format of plyometric work followed by power work into strength, into accessories, and then any individual uh, rehab, prehab kind of movements. So the second question is, how long do your training programs run for at different times of the season? For example, pre-season versus mid-season. Um, this is going to vary massively according to what stage of the career the athlete is in. Obviously, when you're at a younger training age, um, the stuff that you're using is going to work uh, for longer and there's going to be a higher amount of transfer from general means to specific power output on the field. So my answer for you know, young and developing athletes is the, the program runs for as long as it continues to work. And when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, you can use exactly the same program um, during preseason and in-season because one, it's going to continue to work and two, they're going to recover that quickly and three, they're not going to be able to create that much fatigue um, with that training program to the point where it's going to affect match performance, assuming you're programming it um, sensibly. As they get older and as the, the playing level increases, the training age increases, you are going to need to, to switch things up on a, on a more frequent basis to ensure that you're getting transferred to the field of play. Uh, and this is because you're going to need to schedule different training means throughout the year. Some are going to um, just prepare the body for intense loading. Some are going to lay a general foundation of physical preparation and others are going to build on that foundation to create that specific transfer. They're all necessary um, within the training year. Uh, but they all need their place in there. And I would say about four to eight weeks um, maximum is going to be good for, for most mesocycles within the program. 
we have a couple of meso cycles that are even shorter, up to two weeks. But the the nature of our competition is quite different in that we play two games on, one week off, two games on, one week off, and so on until the rugby championship is over. And it's going to be even more weird this year with the World Cup. Number three, how much do your programs differ from player to player? If so, why? Um, they actually differ quite a lot. This is based on uh, where we feel a player is weak, where we feel a player is strong, um, and also the individual needs that their position have. So we have different options within the program to, to try and meet these needs within the program. Number four, are your targets for each player's program the same or do they differ and why? Um, we have some that are the same, we have some that are different. The more general we feel an ability is, uh, the more um, consistent it is from player to player. So for example, we use a functional movement screen to assess injury risk factors. Um, we would ask for a minimum number of points out of 21 um, for all of our players because we all want them to have the minimum uh, injury risk. The more specific we feel an ability or uh, a particular test is to a player's position, the more we are going to emphasize it um, within their program. So to give you an example, we would value uh, top-end running velocity and sprint performance over the short sprints a lot more for an outside back like a wing and a fullback than we would for a prop. And conversely, for a prop, we're going to be much more interested in their maximal strength numbers, uh, squat, bench, deadlift, and so on, than we would be for outside backs. Number five, can you list some factors that affect how you produce a program for a certain player? So I've kind of listed those already, um, where you're strong, where you're weak, what your, um, what your position is, what your position is on the field. Um, I would say also how long you've been training and also how well selected you are um, genetically for the sport, because the, the more well selected you are, the less general training you need to do. And you can just rely on specific training only. Number six, for academy age groups, for example, under 16 or under 18, are there different factors to constructing a program compared to some that the senior squad have? If so, what are they? Um, absolutely, there are differences. Um, a good phrase that I stole from Eric Cressy about training young athletes is that when an athlete is young, you train the organism, and when an athlete is old, you train the athlete. So when we are training young athletes, the emphasis is not so much on um, high performance, uh, on the rugby field is actually about laying the foundation to allow us to achieve high performance on the rugby field down the line. Um, so for that reason, there's going to be quite a lot of differences between a young athlete's training program and uh, a top-level adult training program. Um, there's going to be more similarities as the athlete gets older, but there are still distinct differences. And uh, just to give you a little idea of what we, what we would consider to be laying a foundation, we're talking a lot about stuff like movement literacy, um, developing connective tissue strength, building work capacity, just fundamental movement in the earlier stages of the career. And uh, as the athlete gets older and older, we're more interested in building those maximal outputs of speed, strength and power. And as they get even older, learning how to maximally apply those in the field, because that's where we're going to see the only transfer um, at that age. Number seven, do you have any communication with a player before constructing a program to see uh, what they feel they need to work on? Yes, we do, but only when they are older and they're extremely experienced. And this is because they they understand how we work, they understand how the program works, and um, they've actually got something of value to add to it. And also, at this point, they've been training for a number, number of years. They're an experienced pro. They know how their body feels, and we feel that we're going to get valuable information from them. 
when an athlete is starting out, um, that's not the case. They don't necessarily know their body. They need to get some experience under their belt. They need to, to learn what the program's all about and, and be guided through that process a lot more. So uh, yes, we take it into account, but not when they're young. Number eight, do you talk to coaching staff, for example, head coach or physios before constructing programs to see what players need to work on and what you need to consider when making the program? Um, yes, absolutely. I think the best coaches have the best relationships with their head coach, with their physio, because these guys are going to give you information that you can't get anywhere else. And I think it's information that you absolutely need to implement into your programming. Uh, the head coach, for example, is going to inform the, the style of play or how you're going to approach, how you're going to approach the game. And that is going to have profound implications on what kind of physical qualities you need to emphasize, um, from one program to another. Physios, um, the most important information they can give you is basically injury history because that's going to be the biggest predictor of future injury and also um, how athletes tend to respond from uh, injuries or, or prior rehabs and so on. And I think this is massive because your number one job as a strength coach is to keep the athletes on the field and the physio is your biggest helper in achieving that. So whether they're injured or not, I have a 10-minute meeting minimum with the physios every single day just to see where we're at. Number nine, does player positions affect how much or how intense their programs may be? For example, front row doing more upper body work to deal with the stress of the scrum. Um, yes, uh, it does inform how much work or the intensity of the work that they're doing. Um, but it's not necessarily that we see that they're doing certain work on the field and then we need to compensate for that by doing more work in the gym. Uh, the opposite is actually true. Because we have uh, the least amount of control over what happens on the rugby pitch and what happens in sport practice, um, as that stress rises or falls, the, uh, we actually need to take pieces of the program away or put the, the volume or intensity up or down within the program. So for example, if for, uh, we, we schedule a scrum session with the forwards, we did have uh, a 30-minute highly technical session planned out and uh, about 10 minutes into that session, that went out of the window and we're going eight versus eight for 20 intense scrums where they're straining 100% against each other. Um, that's quite a lot of stress. It's quite a lot of work at the left-hand side of the force velocity curve. It may be that when the front row or you know all the forwards come into the gym after that, that we need to remove um, that work in the program. You know, We don't need to be training uh, left side of the force velocity curve. We might just be able to get away with some power, uh, maybe some speed strength stuff, and then some accessory stuff. Number 10. How often are programs changed or are the sessions different every week? Um, the program gets changed when we feel that it is necessary to continue to see an improved power output in uh, position or sport-specific movement patterns on the field. Like I said, when they're at the elite level, the program's probably going to change every four weeks or so. Um, that is partially a reflection of... Um, reduced productivity of the program and the need to move on to more specific or more general um, training means. And it's partially a, refre uh, a reflection of the, the training uh, calendar, uh, sorry, the competition calendar that we have. Um, typically within an international setup, uh, the longest we're going to have before we have some form of international flight or a game or a, or a change in what we're doing is about three to four weeks. Uh, so it makes sense for us from, from that perspective. I would encourage you to try and change your programs um, the, the absolute bare minimum amount. One is because it allows you to track things better and understand what's the effect of what you're doing having on um, the outcomes that you're interested in. And uh, two is that any novel stimulus to the central nervous system is is basically an ace up your sleeve. That's what you're going to use when other exercises 
um, stop working and stop producing the transfer that you want. If you keep changing things up the whole time, you're, you're just using those aces up your sleeve and it's going to come back to bite you in the long run, in my opinion. Number 11 is how much do programs differ from preseason to competition season? Uh, the primary difference is that during the competition, um, your primary goal is uh, performance at the weekend. It's how, you, how well you do on the pitch. Everything else in the training program is there to support that performance. Everything in preseason is to develop the capacity to perform uh, during the season. And day-to-day fluctuations matter a lot less because you're not actually out there on the weekend playing the game. So generally what you'll see during preseason training is you'll see a lot more emphasis on um, general training means. So uh, maximal speed, strength and power. You'll see a lot more volume. You'll see a lot more intensity. And then as you come into the season, um, you're getting super, super specific with what you're doing in training. Everything's about what happens on the field. Everything else in the gym is going to drop down to pretty much the minimum volume and intensity that's there to retain or continue to slowly develop those abilities. Number 12, what are your main goals for when in competition season to maintain numbers or to keep improving on the numbers? Uh, I would say your goal should be to continue to slowly improve those numbers, but be satisfied if they maintain. Um, The reason I say you should try and slowly improve those numbers is obviously you don't want to send a message out to your athletes that it's okay to, to stand still or go backwards. Um, the reason why I say you should be happy to maintain those numbers is obviously there's a huge amount of external stress in um, training, matches, travel, uh, just psychological stress of the season as well that you're placing on top of your athletes during the season. And um, obviously you can't add without taking away. That means you're going to be taking away the amount of physical straining uh, stress that you can expose your athletes to. So it's unrealistic to expect them to continue at the same uh, to continue to improve at the same rate that they would be um, during the season. But you can still, if you get things uh, just dosed correctly, you can still hope to improve a little bit. Thirteen. Do players get a few days off after games, or are they doing recovery work? Uh, for example, stretching straight after the game. We will generally give them one day off after the game. And that is more for a psychological reason, so they can go home, see their family, um, psychologically decompress a little bit after the game, because obviously they're quite stressful. But we'll get straight back in on a Monday. And uh, typically our Monday work is uh, we'll do a swim uh, or bike with uh, like a foam roll. They'll get a massage, they'll have a stretch. We'll do a little bit of... um, Tempo work in the afternoon just to uh, make sure that we're retaining those sprint mechanics. They're getting a little bit of work through them. We're still doing some aerobic work and uh, then they'll go into rugby. It's a light technical session and that's it. And then we go straight back into the hard stuff on Tuesday. 14. How much do you keep track of player nutrition to help with their gym work or do you leave that with a nutritionist? Um, I suppose it depends on the level of team that you're working with. We're pretty lucky uh, that we're an international team so we have nutrition staff in place. We do work with them though. Uh, we don't really beat players over the head and say that they need to be a particular weight or you know, you need to be this heavy or this light. We, we make sure that their numbers improve on the field. We make sure that they're happy, the players that is, and the nutritionist is happy with their weight. And then the only thing that we really get on top of them about is skin folds if they start to, to spiral out of control or the numbers start to suffer. And um, you know, I tell my, my players... There's an ex- you can have an excuse for being small, you can have an excuse for being slow, but nobody's got an excuse for being the fat fuck. And uh, it's true. Number 15. 
If a player is coming back from injury, how focused are you on the injured area or are you focused on maintaining strength in all other areas? I would say if it's a fairly long-term uh, injury, more than a, a couple of weeks, you've, you've actually had your opportunity to maintain strength in all those other areas whilst uh, that player is not able to train on the affected area. Once they are able to train on the affected area, obviously that's the limiting factor that's going to allow them to return to play and do their thing on the field. So that needs to be your focus. And uh, you can probably um, dial back a little bit on all the other qualities that you've been training whilst they weren't able to do that. Uh, if you've had a really, really good uh, period of rehab, they're actually going to be stronger than before the injury. And if you lose a little bit, they'll be right back to where they were or a little bit above. Number 16, are you prescribing weights for players or do you allow players to choose what weight they lift? The later on it is in the session, the less prescriptive we are. Uh, the earlier in the session it is, the more prescriptive we are. So... Uh, all of our speed stuff, all of our power stuff, all of our strength stuff, we're extremely uh, prescriptive. Um, as we go more into the accessory stuff, the hypertrophy stuff and um, rehab, prehab kind of stuff, we're a lot less prescriptive. Um, that is because um, it's basically a lot of numbers to manage. And if you educate the athletes enough, uh, I believe you can trust them to select the load for themselves. The second reason is, particularly in-season uh, we give experienced players a lot more scope to select their own workload based on how good or bad they feel that day. Obviously, when they feel good, they do more with more um, more intensity, fewer reps, more sets, and vice versa. When they feel bad, we'll um, we'll let them reduce the load, do more reps, uh, fewer sets, further from muscular failure. And if we're super prescriptive, we can't really do that, so we give them the option to select for themselves. We'll also occasionally give them the option to uh, to do extras if they feel they need it, but uh, I think a lot of players just do that out of um, guilt or boredom. I don't think it's as necessary as a lot of clubs make it out to be. 17. How much does the volume of uh, weights change according to what time of the season it is? Like I said, it is much higher volume in pre-season than in-season. Um, also, like I said, we have scope to adjust the volume up or down based on um, the readiness of the athlete that day and how they feel. Uh, but generally, it's still going to be a lot lower than it would be in-season. Essentially, our goal in season is um, maximum adaptation for minimum volume. So I think with a lot of exercises, you can actually make the case that maybe one exercise is all that's necessary and, and no more. Sorry, one set is all that's necessary and, and no more than that. Number 18, if a player has played a full game, how many days before they're allowed to be back into the gym? Like I said, we give them one day off and then they're, they're straight back in the gym the next day. We just have to keep an eye on... Um, the type of work that they're doing, the intensity and the volume, and make sure that it reflects where they are in terms of uh, how fatigued or fresh they are. 19, how often are players tested to measure their progress? Um, I wrote a couple of blog posts last summer on uh, rugbystrengthcoach.com about this. I'm actually not a big fan of testing. Um, testing in the traditional sense where we, we set aside one day for it and we go out and do these tests and pat ourselves on the back that the program's worked. Uh, that is because I feel that it detracts from uh, the stuff that actually works. We know training works. We know the guys are going to get better. Let's not pat ourselves on the back too much. Instead, I prefer to try and get as much um, data uh, from the training process itself that is then going to inform the decisions that we make. And there, then if any gaps are left over at the end of it and we need a test to do that, then we'll do tests. Um, but, you know, a couple of times a year minimum just so that we're able to give information to the people in suits and, and justify that we have our place in the program and the guys are getting better. But 
if we're getting information from training, essentially we're testing every single session. So we, we use gym aware that gives us, that gives us a lot of good information about, um, power output, predicting one RM strength. We use speed gates for all of our speed sessions. That's another, um, te- you know, testing information that we're getting. We do the FMS periodically, uh, but, but mostly we try and minimize testing where possible. Number 20, do you have projections for players to see what they should be lifting by a certain time? Uh, youth athletes, um, no, we don't do that, and that is because the athletes develop at different times. Some guys will just rocket through it; uh, others will be a long time coming. You just can't rush that. Uh, you need to judge them more on how they play more than anything else, uh, because ultimately that's going to be the biggest decision in whether or not they progress to the next level of the game. It's very, very rare that the strength coach is going to have the deciding uh, say in that decision. So your job uh, with youth athletes is just to support the, the head coach to, to make that decision and make sure that they stay in one piece so that they are able to progress to the next stage of their career. When, um, when you get to the adult level, yes and no. Um, you're going to, again, you're going to hope for certain numbers for certain positions um, but you will always find examples within international or professional rugby who, who are able to play at the highest level of the game and they will have terrible numbers. You'll also have some guys who are absolute maniacs in the gym and then they're absolutely shit on the pitch. So the same still applies. We're all about what happens on the pitch and it's only if we feel that there are physical reasons as to why they suck on the pitch that we're really going to beat a player over the head and say, you know, you need to hit these numbers uh, in the gym. Otherwise, our job is more of a supportive role, and we're just there to to support what happens on the pitch. Everything is about what happens on the pitch. Twenty one. How many sessions during the game week do players have? Uh, we train twice a day on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday is a day off. We train twice on Thursday. We have a captain run on Friday, and then we play on Saturday. And um, when I say twice a day, I mean about two to three hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. So we do about five hours. Uh, per day that includes all the warm-ups cool downs maybe a couple of breaks in there but we are doing uh, a lot of training number 22 when you are screening and a player has something that's tight for example a hip flexor would you focus more on that area or do less work to not aggravate it anymore um we wouldn't well we're going to focus with athletes with all athletes we're going to focus on uh areas within the FMS that we feel are the limiting factor for them and if we can address that it's going to have knock-on effects in the whole kinetic chain. Um, That doesn't necessarily affect what we're doing in the gym. If we feel that they're able to do the prescribed exercise without pain or compensation then it will stay in the program. If we feel that they can't do that exercise uh, without pain or compensation obviously we're going to modify it and give them something that they can do. If it's really problematic and uh, you know, it's impossible for them to do a certain pattern. Hopefully, we'll have flagged that up in the FMS and we'll have referred out to the physio or doctor to try and help us or get them to sort it out. And uh, it shouldn't really be an issue in the gym. Number 23, are players given workouts to do away from training? For example, stretching programs? Yes, they are. I doubt they do them. Um, the more supervised training we can do, the happier I am as a coach. 24, how long after players are injured are they allowed back into full conditioning training? Um, from the moment they're able to do something productive and uh, it's not causing them pain. I've uh, trained with guys who broke their leg and two days later they were in the gym. Same thing with um, you know broken collarbone, shoulder injuries. You're literally looking for what's the minimum amount of time that they can be mentally ready to get back into the gym uh, and not feel any pain in a modified program. That's basically your limiting factor. Other than that, as soon as possible.
25. Are the players ever asked how they are feeling during sessions to check if they are psychologically ready to train or trying to train through an injury to prove they can play? Um, From the perspective of guys trying to train through an injury to prove they can play, um, two things are going to stop a player doing that. One is obviously a coach's eye. You You can see whether or not a player is compensating, hopefully. You're also going to be talking to um, the, the coaching staff. You're going to be speaking to the medical staff and the physios to see where a player's at. You're also going to have your objective numbers, uh, both the physio and the performance staff, to, uh, to see whether physically they're ready to come back. Um, you know, Do we ask healthy players how they're feeling during sessions? Yes, we ask them every single day. We ask them how they slept, how they feel, and uh, how sore they are. We'll also just have a conversation with them on a day-to-day basis because, um, like I said, at the elite level, we feel that the coach, the sorry, the players know uh, their bodies better than we do, and uh, they're giving us valuable information. And as the the amount of stress, uh, both physical and non-physical, that they experience fluctuates throughout the the competition period, so too the the stress of the training program has to fluctuate up and down. And uh, a big piece of information that we use to make that decision is feedback from the players and, and how they feel. Um, and even if, you know, we'll, we'll speak to them as well, but we're also just going to look at things like the, the guy's mood, how they're interacting with one another, what the energy's like in the gym. And uh, once, once you've coached for a little while, you can, you can have a good idea as to how the guys are feeling. So that marks the end of the questionnaire. And um, those are pretty much my thoughts on, on how to program strength and conditioning um, sessions for for rugby athletes if you've enjoyed this podcast make sure you go back to www.rugbystrengthcoach.com check out the blog and also the other episodes of the podcast that are up already and we're going to have some more coming out soon thanks very much